Well, hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. You can find all my stuff on thedailyevolver.com. It's always my great pleasure to do this podcast where I get to look at our crazy mixed up world through the lens of integral theory, which is about the evolution of human consciousness, human culture. And even better that I get to do it with my pals who are also lit up by integral theory. Like today, for instance, where I am joined by the editor-in-chief of Integral Life himself, the honorable brother, Corey DeVos. Hey, Corey, how you doing, hey, man? Hey, dude. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, too. So um, there are several things I want to talk with you about. You and I, like, as we just said, there's no end to what we could talk about. That's right. Including politics and all of it. This is now September 23rd, so Wednesday, you know, coming down the home stretch of a presidential election in the middle of a Supreme Court controversy and crisis and all of that. But I'd like to start, if I may, by giving you a plug, man. <laughs> I mean, you because of you, I can do this live show every week, and I really appreciate that. And you and what you're doing at Integral Life is still with the proliferation of so many new integral things, still, still the center of the integral world. And um, so I just thought you might want to check us in on what you're doing new and what we should know about. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for the opportunity to, to plug the work. Um, and you're right, you know, just to start off, you're right. I mean, these are absolutely crazy times right now. I mean, I can't think of another time in my own life uh, that's been more divided and more fragmented than this one. And I think that's true for the integral community as much as for any other community that's out there. We're all sort of in this together. We're all swimming in this, uh, you know, kind of insane waters <laughs> these days. And as such, you know, I think one of the best remedies for the stresses and the pressures and the anxieties that we're all feeling these days is practice, simply practice. And that's been probably the most exciting thing that's been going on over at Integral Life these days is we are in the midst of launching this massive real-time live practice platform, hmm. which to me represents an overdue renaissance for the Integral Project itself. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the thing people have been, you and I've worked together for 17 years. I did the math. Okay. This is what people have been asking for since day one. That's right. Is some sort of a, you know, real platform for integral practice. So That's it turns right. out it's on the internet. Here we go. That's right. Yeah. And you know, and, and the timing couldn't be more perfect. I mean, so many of us are quarantined away, you know, tucked inside of our houses, social distancing, um, and, you know, there's more distance between us these days than, again, any other time I can remember in my life. So the opportunity to be able to jump into a virtual container with each other and to actually engage in real-time practice with each other. Um, and the practices that we're offering are all over the board. I mean, we've got waking up practices, growing up practices, cleaning up practices, showing up practices, and we're just ramping it up week by week by week. And I think the really, really important thing here is that, again, this is all in real time. 
right? So this isn't like I go to a site, I find a practice, I make time for it myself, I do it by myself, and I'm just kind of further siloed away from all the other souls and practitioners that are in this space. This actually allows us to step into the space with each other, right? To find accountability with each other, to find deeper commitment with each other, and to find deeper engagement with each other. Wow. Um, which again, it just feels like a panacea for what we're going through right now. I've heard about what you're doing. I really know nothing about it myself. So I'm going to ask you some questions. Yeah. So I access it online. Yeah. And yeah, I go you, to somewhere in Integral Life. Yep. And you go to IntegralLife.com. There's a live button right at the top of the screen. Okay. Click live and you'll go to our calendar. Okay. And then these things show up live and yep. I click into them. I suppose I pay something, right? Or do I just have to be a member? So you got, so this is how it works. As of right now, all members get full access to the, to the practice platform. You can participate okay. with as many of these practices as you want, again, in real time. It's available to all existing members. Towards the end of the year, probably at, at the beginning of 2021, we're gonna bring in a new membership level um, that includes all these practices. But if you are already a member right now, and if you, or if you become a member before the end of the year, you'll be grandfathered. I'm sorry. Yeah, grandfathered. That's the yeah, term. That's, you'll be grandfathered into that. that I think we should probably say grandparented though. You'll be grandparented. That's, yeah, that's, you know. <laughs> that's more savvy. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah so if enough. you, if you become right. a member before the end of the year, you'll be grandfathered right into that and you will have permanent access to, to that practice platform. And you will have to be a member to access this. There's that's no right. a la carte kind of thing. That's right. Okay, great. Okay, so I go in there. And, and then what do I see? Well, uh, we can actually, if you want, we can do a little screen share. You bet. Love to. Um, let, me, let me pull up the website real quick. There we as go. long as you realize that two-thirds of the people will be listening to uh, podcast audio. We'll, we'll, we'll try to use a very uh, descriptive We'll use our words to go through it. Yeah. So let's see here. Uh, I'm going to share the screen. Okay. So here is the integrallife.com homepage. You can see on the right, we've got our live calendar. Oh, there's you right there, Jeff. Oh, for heaven's sakes. Yeah. Um, and then tonight, we've got a practice with Lisa Frost at 8 p.m. Mountain. Um, so you have this, you know, sort of the sidebar calendar over here. And okay. then if you go over here into the main menu and click the live button, which is right next to the join button, click that. That's going to take us to the calendar. Now, what's really cool is if you're a member, Usually right here, just above the calendar is a, a, a link you can click to set your time zone. Once you set your time zone, all of the times for each of the events is gonna be specific to you and where you are geographically. So okay. there won't be any confusion. You won't have to do these like last minute time zone com conversions. Uh, it should all be right there for you. So when you go down, you can see this is, you know we've got our next week of practices uh, built out in the calendar. We're going to be adding the next few weeks uh, shortly in the next couple of days. So you'll have a better sense of what's going wow. on the line. And then basically the way it works is you click into any of these and it gives you the full description. You can add it to your Google calendar. Mm -hmm. And then 15 minutes before the practice begins right here, there's an orange link that shows up that brings you into the Zoom room. Hmm. So all you got to do is go to this page shortly before the practice begins, click that link and you'll go right into the Zoom room. If you're logged in and you're great. Ready. So that's how easy the, enough. Uh, yeah. That's how the practice page works. Um, and again, we have some just really, really amazing talent um, coming. Yeah, give through. us an overview of the, some of the topics and teachers. 
Yeah, totally. Well, like I said earlier, you know, we have practices all over the board in each of the the four ups, as I as I as I like to call them. But what's I think really kind of innovative about how we're doing this? The four is ups. Sorry, I, I wake uh, up, grow up, clean up, show up. Ah, got it. Yeah. Yes, yes. So I think what's kind of innovative about what we're doing is we're not going out and sort of hand selecting the people that we like, which isn't to say we don't like the people who are showing up. We love the people who are showing up, but we're not curating this as much as we're allowing sort of this bottom up kind of groundswell uh, from the community itself. So we sent out a couple months ago an announcement saying, hey, if you wanna be a practice leader, if you wanna help us sort of shape this new, you know, kind of project that we're doing together, um, submit a practice, let us know. And we got a lot of really, really great submissions. Mm -hmm. um, and the practices that we have, you know, lined out for the first couple of weeks here are some of the best um, submissions that we've gotten. So these are all really, really strong practices. And we've got some new voices coming in, which is really, really great. We've got- Yeah, so give us a taste. Keith, Keith Martin-Smith, uh, who's a longtime friend of ours, is doing uh, an awakening practice in the mornings. We've been doing it on Monday mornings. They've been really, really, really good. Hmm. Uh, I've gotten some really great response to that. Nomali, uh, who is another dear friend of ours, uh, did a transformative change practice last week. That was really powerful. Uh, Lisa Frost did a grieving practice. That was really powerful. We've got hmm. big mind practices in here. We've got shadow practices in here. And the really cool thing is you can basically go through that calendar and you can find the practices that really speak to you, yeah. wherever you think your edge is, right? Yeah, and that teacher will be there in real time with real other time. students. And that's, that's right. really important, isn't it? Yeah, it really, really is. I think that is what offers sort of the antidote to what we're going through socially right now, where every, again, we're all engaged in the integral project right in our own kind of way and within our own spheres of influence but all of that is taking place on places like facebook which is this postmodern media platform that has no mechanisms for enfoldment built into it whatsoever it's the first media platform where that's true yeah right yeah where we have to be the enfoldment mechanisms ourselves and guess what guys that's really hard because the informational terrain that's out there is so huge and so complicated and it's so easy for our own sort of lenses to get distorted and clouded and you yes. know to become yes. sort of ignorant to our own blind spots and yes. biases so it's a difficult age to be making sense of all this and i think that we need each other now more than we ever have uh. before and you know, and second to that, just within the sort of online integral community, because it's all taking places on the, uh, taking place on these disembodied, fragmented platforms, it's, guess what? It's creating a disembodied and fragmented community that's often just full of conflict and gatekeeping and my integral is more integral than your integral kind of, kind, really? you know. Um, and it gets, you know, that's not, that's not the integral conversation I want to be a part of. Yeah. Right. I want to have a practiced relationship with people and to have conversations within that space and within that container. And I'm hoping wow. that that's what this new um, practice platform is going to offer to people. Wow. Yeah, me too. And I will definitely check it out and, and join you. And I think it segues very nicely into the next topic I wanted to talk with you about. And oh. that is, you know, what's going on with the integral community? Yeah. And I, um, I don't really know. Uh, and that's why I ask. Uh, I talked this week 
to Jason Lang and Namali, who I've worked with for years at, as well as you, and mm -hmm. you know they're working with me on the Daily Evolver, and they're both very plugged in to the integral social media and so forth. And Namali has even convinced me that I have to do Facebook Live videos, so I mm -hmm. may start doing those. Giving me Facebook is like me giving my grandmother the internet in general. <laughs> it's just like, what? Right. So, <laughs> so I really don't know, but they've told me, and you're, you're sort of alluding to the same thing, that there is a, uh, a, a rising fracturing in the integral community around the things that are fracturing everybody else too. Why should we be so different? That's right. So what do you see there? Oh man, um, I feel like I see a lot and not at all. I mean, let me just say, I have this like total love-hate relationship with Facebook. I mean, I really do. I, I, on the one hand, I hate to see what it's doing to, you know, our minds, our democracy, our community. I mean, all of this, I mean, it's having a really detrimental effect in so many ways on our well-being. Um, not to mention sort of our, our understanding of reality and our enactment of truth and all of that. So that's all on sort of the hate ledger. <laughs> on the love ledger, I mean, I have some of my best conversations on Facebook. I have some of my most meaningful conversations on Facebook, and they're usually within these integral crowds, and they're oftentimes surrounded by division and fragmentation and argumentation and all of that. But that's okay, too. I mean, integral is big enough to hold all of this. That's kind of the power of integral, right? The key though, is you kind of have to get out of your own way if you want integral to hold all of this. So if you're coming at this from like, you know, here's sort of my ego's definition of integral and it is superior to your enactment of integral for the following reasons. I mean, that gets really, really hostile really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, and I see people that get, you know, turned off to that. And I mm -hmm. think that we as sort of an integral you know, a, a very loose integral community, um, I think it's, it behooves us to try to put our best foot forward, to try to create as friendly of a space as possible, knowing that there are people, particularly in the online integral project, who are coming into this from like different stations in life and have different levels of familiarity with integral and could be at different, you know, cosmic addresses can be all over the board. And again, I think- Absolutely. Integral, yeah, integral makes yeah. room for all of that. You yeah. just have to figure out how to skillfully enfold with each other, yeah. knowing that. Well, and that's, it, it, I think it, the challenge. Yeah. Well, it's the challenge in real life, too, yeah. you know, to have uh, people who see the world so differently, even when you see so much of it the same. It's really mm -hmm. funny. I mm -hmm. mean, you scratch the surface. I think there's a Rilke line uh, where he said, considering the chasms that divide us, it's astonishing that we could communicate and reach each other at all. Yes. And this, you know, that's worth pondering. That's why, and so that's as why. we get more complex and as more gets actually surfaced, we realize that, oh my God, you think that George Bush brought down the trade towers and yet you're one of the most sophisticated people I know. Yep. And you're voting for Trump and uh, th this one and that one, and um, I'm not sure it's not right on schedule in a way. A hundred percent on schedule. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it is. And I also think that, you know, being on schedule doesn't justify terrible wrong turns. Totally. And that we're going to have a different social media in a few years than we have now, I think. I don't know exactly how that's going to be, but we got to, and this is where development helps so much, we got to be uh, aware of how it 
perpetuates red with terrible consequences in cultures where the center of gravity is red enough already, where there's all sorts of well-documented Myanmar and so forth, where these terrible you know, massacres take place because of the fumes of, of hate on Facebook. Yep. Yep. And we see it, you know, here we are in our modern, postmodern culture, but we can see that happening in the red strata here as well. 100%. Yeah. As well as the regression to amber, which is, I yeah. think, you know, one of the most popular topics of conversation. Yep, fundamentalism. That's yeah. right. And on the left and on the right. And yeah. I think that's, that's one of the things that a lot of integralists are super concerned about. And in fact, I think is one of the things that is pushing some integralists towards Trump. For better or for worse. And mm-hmm. I, I just want to say that I have learned so, you know, I often say, I, you know, I, I do so much of this work right? Sort of on my own, like these shows and, you know, all that. And it's, I I don't have a lot of people to talk to, (laughs) you know, our staff is very small these days. So I often say, you know, my group of people on Facebook that I converse with regularly, people I agree with, people I disagree with, this is like my writing room in so many ways. And I have like the world's best writing room, right? Right Um, And and it's, it's the, the people who uh, you know, are coming at this from very, very different political views. And I have, I learned so much from them. I'm still more right than they are, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Right. But yeah. I've learned a ton from them and I understand sort of what's animating their concerns. And sometimes I've kind of poke fun of it. You know, people say that there's a, a Trump derangement syndrome out there yes. among people on the left. And there is. Yes. And there's also a liberal derangement syndrome out there among the right and among integralists, right? Uh-huh. I think that there's a lot of the left that stands in the integral shadow. And therefore, we, you know, we, we have- And are fundamentalist against traditionalists. That's right. So to speak, yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Right. Yep. Well, and I think all those, you know, so I, I, I just had a conversation on Facebook today um, with someone who's saying, you know, they're, they're super concerned about, for example, critical race theory. I am too. I think this is a, a largely a broken movement that's based on good intentions, yeah. but the movement itself is largely broken. I, to use a liberal catchphrase, it's deeply problematic, right? And, you know, we probably want to stem. So, but but his, his, his sort of view was that, well, this might be why we need to reelect Trump to put an end to critical race theory. And my response was like, well, w- wait a minute here. I think that so much of sort of the extremism that we're seeing behind CRT these days is actually coming from a reaction to Trump, right? We're sort of in a, our immune system is flaring up right now. And, you know, we're giving ourselves a fever, but that doesn't mean that the illness, the irritant isn't real and isn't to be taken seriously. Oh. So for me, and my prediction is that if Biden ends up winning this somehow, um, then so much of this extreme crap that we're seeing on the left is going to run out of steam and is going to crash on the rocks. Yeah. You, you, uh, I, I, I really can't even begin to think about which one of the presidents, which outcome would be better or worse for mean green mean. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Is it Trump getting in there and continuing to stir things up? Is it Biden sort of giving us a breath and, you know, uh, relaxing some of the boundaries on the left and so forth? I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. Either of those could uh, help or, or not. Uh, but it seems to me that the integral project in general, and we knew this from the beginning, 
is the teasing of part of what's good and bad about every stage of development. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the critical theory of, of, of green is basically what it means is be critical of all the theories that you've learned. Right. You know, be critical of all of the triumphalism of nation and race and all of the stuff that brought us the horrors of the first half of the 20th century. Look at those critically now yes. and look at everything critically. And that's actually a very good thing. Yeah. You know, critically, but not cynically. And but I not think cynically. There's, there's an yes. important, you know, let's, let's jump into that real briefly because this was another exchange I had recently on Facebook that was fruitful for me was it kind of snapped into focus, like why we are seeing so much cynicism and honestly so little critical thinking within that cynicism. And I think what it is is cynicism and naivety are sort of the unintegrated versions of a polarity. And that real polarity is one that exists between being critical and being trusting, right? Yeah. If you have a healthy integration of trusting and sort of a, a, a critical mind, that is a good place to be. That's a it really, is. really good place no, to be. Really but the minute one of them gets in, you know, if you have too much critical sort of, you know, uh, intent and you don't have any trust in say mainstream news or fact checkers or whatever that immediately slides into cynicism yeah. and vice versa if you have nothing but trust in these institutions and aren't bringing a critical eye to any of it you slide right into naivety and to me I feel like this is a really really great for us opportunity for us to self-assess just where am I am I feeling a little cynical okay maybe I need to look at what am I letting myself trust what am I not trusting and why yeah. Um, am, am I feeling yeah. a little bit naive? Well, then maybe I need to be a little more critical around some of the sources and around yes. my own bias. Yes. And if I get those right, then I can get myself out of cynicism. I can get myself out of naivety and I can bring myself closer to real embodied informed civic action. Yeah. Well, one of the pol polarities that uh, Steve McIntosh pointed out to me that I love, and I think it's so helpful with this in politics is, and it's what you're talking about, it's just a different way of looking at it, but it's grievance and gratitude. Mm. So we have this, you know, traditionalists have this amazing story of America, the shining city on the hill, you know, mm -hmm. hallelujah, right? Uh, and the conservative, uh, it, that's, uh, those are the conservatives, the people on the left, especially the critical theorists, mm -hmm. is uh, it's been corrupt from the beginning and based on oppression and slavery and the genocide and the conquering of the continent and, and uh, all of that sort of thing. So that's the grievance. There's the grievance story and there's the gratitude story. Mm -hmm. And both of them are true, actually. You know, when you consider that our founding fathers on Rush, I just went to Mount Rushmore, two of them owned slaves. You know, that's, we got to take that into account. Now, traditional people, the Fox News people think, don't burst my bubble, don't rewrite history. It's, it feels terrible to them to have to let that other part in. Yeah. And, and, but yet that's what we're doing. And so this is the frothy process of our culture war right now is these two dueling worldviews and these two poles. And I think it's fruitful. I think that it's ugly. But evolution's ugly. Yeah. No, I, I'm sort of with you there, Jeff. And let's, let's talk about the culture wars for a second. Because I think, you know, one of the hazards here is that we have a, we're, we're currently in a increasingly hot 
culture war right now. This used to be sort of a cold war. Now it's getting a little warmer. And yeah, well, scary. this Ginsburg um, totally. Supreme Court thing is just the you know perfect of example it. of how that's arisen. All of it, and down to all of it, all of it. Antifa and the Proud Boys. I mean, all, this is this is hitting a a fever pitch right now, and I think it's largely because well, a few things. A, if we actually look at sort of the structure of the culture wars, it's sort of um, it feels like a bit of a distraction because our culture wars are framed as this eternal battle between, let's just say, the mean green meme and the mean amber meme, right? And I think one of the casualties of that particular war is that no one pays attention to the mean orange meme. And the mean orange meme is what is more responsible than anything else for creating the conditions for the rest of these culture wars, right? So I often try to encourage, I just did some writing about this this morning. I often try so to this, encourage. Let me just ask you, how would you define the mean orange meme? The mean orange meme? Uh, and first of all, I agree with you that it exists and it is tremendously pernicious, but I yeah. want to hear your definition of it. Yeah, well, I think that uh, what largely fed into it was the last 40 years of neoliberalism, which created this transnational um, economic system that is not itself accountable to any transnational regulator. So what we have right now is a transnational economy that kind of sits up here above all the nation states and then the individual nation states themselves trying to figure out how to regulate in the midst of that. But they're largely powerless because it's, it's a holonic mismatch. You know what I mean? So what we have these days is rampant wealth inequality. We have neoliberalism on steroids, which is just kind of the, you know, the economic frame that was handed down to us from Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher that really emphasizes individualism and trickle-down economics and, you know, things like that. I think we've reached the end of that 40-year cycle and we're searching right now for sort of this new lower right quadrant paradigm, but we haven't been able to hit it because we're so lost in these, in these cultural wars. So to me, mean orange meme really comes down to like, the plutocracy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, that, which I think is where 98% of legitimate conspiracy theories are coming from because this is about wielding, managing, protecting power yeah. and consolidating yeah. power. Yeah, yeah. So that to me is, is sort of the main challenge with the mean orange yeah. meme these days. Yeah. Um, uh, and the culture uh, wars are, are ripe to distract us from that. Yeah. Okay. And I, I, okay. So I would say that uh, I'm with you on the mean orange meme, and I would add two things in additional. I think the ones implied when you talk about the unregulatable global capitalist system uh, is the the degradation of the biosphere. That's mean orange. <clears throat> That's orange having the capacity to rape the world, but not having the moral capacity to to see it. Right. So that's one. And the other is the disenchantment of the world, getting rid of uh, spirit, basically, and reducing everything to materialism. So that's another function of the mean orange meme. Okay, so that's, that's, that's mean. That's bad. Every stage has a, comes on with a fundamentalist, totalitarian, very destructive, to, particularly to the previous stage, modernity got rid of God. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Um, that that's all true and it actually helps us to put the mean green meme in perspective you know it's yes it's fundamentalist yes people are getting hurt uh yes it's unfair 
but God, look at it compared to the mean orange meme or the mean amber meme, right? Or, you know, any of the number of mean red memes we could go back to. So that helps there. And then the second thing I would say about the system, uh, capitalist system, is that it's the most fruitful, amazing creator of wealth uh, that the humanity has ever seen and has brought tremendous benefits to humanity and continues to. So could we hold all that? Can that all be true in the same consciousness? I think, I think so. so. And I think that's the distinction between healthy orange and unhealthy orange. Yes, exactly. There's healthy orange, there's healthy blue, there's healthy, you know, there's healthy all of them. That's right. And a healthy green needs to, of course, transcend and include that orange base in, for its own health. Well, and, and in so doing becomes integral. That's right. Again, to just lay the land, we're talking about integrating the best of these previous stages of development and leaving behind their worst. That's right. And so... It doesn't seem that hard in principle, but it's, here we are. But it's, a, but it's a challenge, you know. And I think the other challenge here, uh, Jeff, is to is to prevent ourselves from going down the culture war rabbit hole in the first place, and to sort of overestimate how important the culture war is. Because yes, there's an escalation with our culture wars, right? Obviously, but it's always going to be here. We're always going to have a culture war, and it's going to constantly shift the battle lines are going to constantly shift and i often try to encourage integral thinkers to look beneath the culture wars in the lower left quadrant which are largely sort of the surface feature symptoms of a deeper dysfunction and that dysfunction is within the lower right quadrant realm of governance and policy and economic theory and I think that the more we can shift our attention away from, you know, you can't change culture. You can influence it, but you can't directly change it. What you can directly change are the lower right quadrant containers within which that culture is unfolding. And I think that is personally where I think we need, we collectively as integralists need to be paying more attention so that we don't get so wrapped up in the partialness and the extremities of the culture wars as we find them sort of on the ground. Yeah, fair enough? enough. Yeah, it does. I mean, wouldn't you say that they're all co-evolving if we look at all four quadrants or if we look at first, second, and third person? If I look at the lower right, if, if we look at the economic system, it is evolving. There's no question mm-hmm. about it. Uh, how fast and how satisfactory to people who are really hurt, hurt and affected by it is a different question. But we are moving towards a green economy more and more, starting with the $3 trillion that the government just wrote to the citizens. And that's, it's just astonishing to me that that happened uh, while Republicans were in charge. And I think it's a great thing. And I think that it is just that natural movement that comes from a moral development that says it's not okay to let people hang out to dry anymore Mm. it's not just as back in the 40s we said it's not okay to let old ladies sell pencils on the street corners to survive we have to do something about that so the moral consideration of inequality and really just people this is the good part of green this is healthy green that notices that we're living in, I don't know, systemic racism, call it what you will, but we live in a system where still the measures of social success, net worth, home ownership, health, 
are distributed racially, mm -hmm. you know, and that's not okay anymore. There's something that's healthy about just saying, we got to fix that. Yep. I think it all sort of co-evolves. And sure. yeah, the yeah. point I'm trying to make, yeah, they absolutely, the lower left and the lower right absolutely co-evolve. However, we also know that the lower left tends to lag behind transformations and innovations in the lower right. In other words, the lower right becomes the container, the shape, right? Sort of the structural shape within which culture unfolds. I might argue the opposite just for the hell of it. You can uh, try, Jeff. But you <laughs> well, I mean, I think that the culture is moving towards what I'm talking about is this, this revulsion of things that were acceptable in Reagan era, you know, uh, if you will, that is moving the lower right and that the lower right is probably appropriately and this is the system itself you know the economic system the legal system the political system uh, is appropriately the lagging quadrant because it's the one that you don't want to screw with the i mean it's the one that's going to be the hardest to screw with and probably rightly so what do you think of that no i think i think that's accurate i mean it should be difficult to steer a battleship Right. But the problem is so so where I agree with you is that in the lower left, you can have this congealing, you can have this convening, you can have but just for people who don't get it, lower left means the culture. So That's the right. interior of the collective. That's right. So within the lower left, within that collective interior, you can, for example, cultivate political will that we can use to exert influence on our representatives and enact new changes in the lower right. And that's kind of the way it's supposed to be, especially if we have a functional constitution with two functional parties that are actually enfolding with each other. I don't think that's sort of the reality on the ground as we find it today. So for example, you know, I think about, you know, the issue that affects my life the most is healthcare. I would like to think that we as a society within the last 10 years, turned the corner in terms of how we think about healthcare and how we think about things like pre-existing conditions, right? And how we think about the importance of making healthcare easily available and affordable to all citizens of this country, regardless of your employment status, for example. I would like to think we turned that corner and yet we have had four years of an administration trying to repeal exactly those protections, exactly those protections, without suggesting what would replace it and what would pick up the mantle for people and what would end up effectively protecting my own daughter should, you know, this ever become an issue for her in the future. I don't see that coming from the right. I don't see this kind of common sense for the common good coming from the right. I see, you know, here's my kind of overall takedown. You mean from the right head quadrant or from the right um, of the political spectrum? I'm gonna say, well, I don't, I'm gonna even clarify. I don't mean from the right of the political spectrum because I think there are a great many conservatives who... <laughs> well, there goes Corey. I think we could say the computer crashed. Yeah, let me just see if I can gather some thoughts up and maybe we'll just um, continue. Uh, I, I guess what I would have responded to Corey there was that we have indeed uh, in the last 10 years made a huge movement in terms of 
particularly the left-hand quadrants in terms of healthcare. Now, the right-hand quadrants, no. We have a, a, a administration who's trying to dismantle Obamacare. And I don't know about Trump because I never can trust Trump. But there are positions from the right that advocate and, you know, seek to provide health care for everybody and um, seek to, uh, you know, deal with pre-existing conditions. Even Trump talks about pre-existing conditions. And even hypocrisy itself is a stage in the path. Previous presidents wouldn't have talked about it this way. I think we've made progress there. Everybody agrees we got to have pre-existing conditions covered. And it's just a matter of is finding our way there and unfortunately fighting our way there. So that's what I would have said. No, I'm back. Here, here we are. That's all right. Apologies, everyone. So we were talking about the, well, why don't you just re rewind a bit? Let me think what we were talking about. So we were talking about just sort of the shape of the culture wars. Largely, the culture wars seem to be galvanized between what we would call the mean green meme and the mean amber meme. And what is getting, I think, left out of the picture to all of our detriment is the mean orange meme. And so we talked a little bit about what that looked like, how it looks like transnational techno economies without an equivalent transnational regulator at that sort of holonic level. Uh, we talked about rampant wealth inequality, this thing called neoliberalism that we're hitting the end of this 40 year cycle and kind of looking for the next new, you know, more integral economic paradigm that's more um, appropriate for the life conditions that we face today. So I think that that's a big caution that we want to bring to the culture wars. And I was also advocating for people to try to look beneath the culture wars a little bit, because oftentimes what we're seeing in the culture wars is sort of just this surface feature kind of symptom of a deeper dysfunction. And that deeper dysfunction usually lives in the lower right quadrant. It usually has something to do with policy and actual governance. So culture wars, all that stuff, all the lower left crap, that's called politics. I think what we need to be paying more attention to is something called governance in the lower right quadrant. And as far as I can tell, Jeff, the Republicans are amazing at politics, not so good at governance. And the left is eh, kind of adequate at governance. At least there's a few grown-ups that show up to the table, but lousy at politics. Just absolutely terrible, lousy at politics and messaging and exerting influence and convening people together in, in, in service of something greater than themselves. Yeah. Terrible at that. Well, don't you think that, wonder why that is. I mean, I, I agree with you, uh, basically, but I think that there's uh, a developmental explanation, at least, you know, we could look at, that traditionalists are just by nature more monoperspectival than postmodernists are, okay. in the sense that postmodernity can contain so many things, and one of its benefits is that. You know, it sees it's world centric. It's not just nation centric. It includes people who have been left out. It wants to see other cultures. It sees history and karmas of history in a, in a new and different way, and slavery and the repercussions and all of that good stuff. And the downside is that it's harder to herd squirrels yeah. than it right. is to herd people who fall in line. Yeah. You know, yeah, simply I, put, I think the, the left is working with more coalitions, yeah. more broader coalitions, different coalitions yep. than the right is. Yeah. 
the upside is a flexibility of mind, uh, and, 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 and in so many ways, particularly in the left-hand quadrants, mm -hmm. the left is winning and has won. I mean, good Lord, look at the Culturally. culture. Yeah. 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 In fact, you know, my kind of equation, Jeff, is that the left, I'm sorry, the lower left quadrant in culture, we actually need more conservative guardrails. Yeah, now. I agree. But Did in the lower right, in the lower right, we need far more progressive policy than anything we've seen in the last 40 years. Well, aren't you something? That's how I see it. I think those, that statement is really, really, really captures what mm -hmm. we need. And I love the integral framing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the left has so won the culture war, and the right has won the political war. That's right. And uh, the, the right loosely dis described as, what, how did you just put it? It's not late stage capitalism, but it's the- Neoliberalism. The, neoliberalism, yeah. Right. The right has won with neoliberalism. Yep. Yeah. And that's been, that's been, you know, I mean- And actually, that, I'm that, not sure, isn't neoliberalism more centric? Centrist? Not really. I mean, I you know, I mean, Keynesian economics. Which I mean, it's orange. orange. Yeah, it's it certainly, yeah, it's certainly orange. Yeah. Um, but most of these systems are going to be orange, right? I mean, um, you know, when we, when we had the Keynesian economic system, that was seen as largely an orange, a left type orange economic paradigm. Yeah. And when we shifted to neoliberalism, that was yeah. more of a right type orange yeah. economic paradigm. And yeah. both of them created, I mean, but look, both of them work for a certain amount of time before they crash on the rocks, and then you simply need a new exactly. paradigm, and that's what we've seen. Yeah, neoliberalism has been one of the most fruitful uh, ways of thinking and organizing human behavior in human history. In fact, sure. it has been the most fruitful. For sure. But let's yeah. talk about some of the casualties of neoliberalism that we've seen right. over the last 40 years. We've seen the destruction and the abandonment of the private sphere. This is a big one for me because Ken often talks about how historically it was kind of, we kind of situated ourselves so that men were largely in charge of the public sphere, women, women were largely in charge of the private sphere, and then once the industrial revolution came, that brought a whole new set of pressures and opportunities that allowed women to move out of the private and into the public en masse. Right, and the tw that in so many ways is is one of the most important stories of the 20th century was this movement of women out of the private and into the public. That is nothing but a good thing. Mm -hmm. However, in so doing, particularly over the last 40 years, no one has been tending to the private sphere. And I think this is a big deal. I mean, we can talk about this from the perspective of men who, in this culture, are suffering from crazy amounts of depression and anxiety and suicide rates, right? And so much of this comes from the fact that we're growing up in this neoliberal world, which places an extrinsic value on particularly men. You are as valuable as the value you can create for others and for society. But men have very little access to intrinsic value because that can only come from the private sphere. That can only come from community and relationships and you know neighborhoods coming together and you know that's where you get that sense of of value and purpose just by simply being who you are men i think are lacking that and we're really really seeing the ramifications that has on our mental health and just economically we have seen massive stagnation and a loss of social mobility. I mean, you know, you want to talk about systemic racism, all that is true and all that is made so much worse 
by the fact that nobody has any social mobility these days. It's so hard to, you know, in any class to, to, to move up. Yeah. And that's difficult. Yeah, well, that's, that's the, you know, the calcification of the meritocracy that actually isn't so meritocratic right. as we think. That's right. Uh, and um, so, you know, what you're talking about is, you know, and I think you identified it, it's the mean orange mean. Yeah. And it disenchanted the world in general. It got rid of God. It got rid of uh, family. And, and, you know, we wanted to leave the, our home mm-hmm. when we became modern. I didn't want to stay there with all these relatives making claims on me and talking to just them as everybody did in my family. I wanted to strike out and go to the, across the country and do, be on my own. And, and so the upside of that is that. Right. The downside is I'm unmoored. You know, I'm, I'm not because I figured it out, but people are. Yeah. And, uh, and that private sphere, you're right. Problem with the private sphere is it's suffocating. At yeah. least it was in traditionalism. Amber and, now, and now we have, but here we are oscillating back yep. to a more communal stage, green, which is going to revalorize communitarianism in some way, form. And I see, absolutely see that happening. You know, I do, I do tend to think about these things in terms of eras right? Some things are possible in some eras, but not possible in other eras. The 20th century era was the era where that allowed, again, women to move en masse because the world demanded it. We needed it. For, just to get through World War II, we needed women to come into the factories and start pulling levers. And you know what I mean? That radically changed the shape of our society because of the Industrial Revolution and sort of what it, the power that it brought with it. I think we're gonna see something similar in the next era, which is gonna be something like an automation era. And what that's gonna do is that's gonna actually, just like the industrial revolution forced women out of the home and into work, the automation era is probably gonna force a lot of men out of work and back into the home. We're already seeing this with COVID. And we're COVID has fast forwarded things 10 years. Totally. In in this sphere. Totally. And if anything, we can feel how diminished we are in terms of that pride. But at least we're given the opportunity to recreate sort of the private sphere on this kind of cellular family by family level. And my hope is that continues to grow and mutate into sort of these larger, I mean, I'm hoping neighborhoods start kind of coming together again and start gossiping about the neighbors down the street. And I mean, that's how these things were done. Not Absolutely. Well, I often think of this just in terms of the developmental map of the development of the the spiral is that to be a fully formed integral human being you want to have an identity with first of all yourself your family you want to have that magenta uh thing you know lit up you want to be part of your family and clan and tribe and the tribal thing so we want to have tribal connections now they're not going to be familial and genetic as much as but they're going to feel that that deep community i feel and then yeah exactly you know the integral tribe we have you know a lot of that and it continues to grow and and then we also want to be part of our community and we want to have that amber traditional thing. And, 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 and then we want to be part of our nation. And we want to have a healthy relationship there. And we want it moving into green world centric. We want to have a real felt relationship with the planet and with humanity. 
Yep. You know? And then we also, to move into integral and post-integral, we want to have an identity with the cosmos itself and yeah. with evolution itself. And that, you know, this crazy mixed up universe. Right. You know, f forget the world. Yeah. So anyway, all of those want to be lit up and healthy. And right now, uh, if you look at people who are center of gravity, orange, green, a lot of anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. That's, it's just the malady of that stage. That's self-authoring for you. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and, and where you have left home and yeah. lost your religion. Yep, and you have no ground yeah. under your feet anymore. Exactly, yeah. Other than the ground you create for yourself, and holy shit, is that stressful. Exactly. Yep. And then, you know, as we <clears throat> move into an, as we move into more of an integral space, we see that the, there is no ground, uh, that, that the ground is itself moving, that mm -hmm. motion and growth is prime directive. And it always rem reminds me of something Chogum Trumpa said. And I particularly took offense at this. Uh, and he said that, he was saying this, that, you know, there's no place to stand. He was the Tibetan Buddhist teacher mm -hmm. here in Boulder's founded Naropa. And there's no place to stand. And he says, if you think that you can cozy up in your little armchair with your Time magazine and your cup of coffee, you're crazy because you can't, nothing is stable. You can't stay there. And I hated that because that's exactly what I like to do. You know, get my Time magazine. This was back in the 80s, you know, and cozy up and think that, oh, here I am. I'm safe. No safe. You know, it just yeah. keeps on roiling. I'm safe and oh, so spiritual, not yeah. realizing that your sense of safety is actually smothering your sense of spirituality. Yeah. yeah. And it's a wild ride here. And it's, you know, we're not going to make it out here alive. And yet, I think we never die. So, yeah. you know, it's all of the, the whole, why, other, you know, whole other conversation there. But That's why Buddhism is a bit of a shell game, because it's like there is no ground, there is no ground, until one day you pop out the other side and you realize that there's nothing but ground. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, but it's moving, and it's, the ground, huh? is, yeah. there's ground nothing is evolving. Moving. It is yeah. itself evolving. Yeah. Oh, my God, Corey. Well, what about this Ginsburg thing, man? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, well, here we are. It's uh, polarized. It's not about uh, collegiality. It's about who's got the power and the president and Senate get to decide who's going to be the Supreme Court justice and uh, either one of them can make it or break it. Yep. And when you yeah, have both, both of those uh, two uh, houses of government, two out of three, to the count constitutionally lined up, then we're going to get a, a new Supreme Court justice and probably going to be this Amy Coney Barrett. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, so there we have it. Do you think that and that's uh, the new rule? That's what well, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of funny is we had a new rule in 2016, the no. rule, and that's out the window now. No, and this power, is where I think power liberals, have to, liberals have to stop wasting their breath trying to hold the GOP accountable to claims of hypocrisy. They don't give a shit about hypocrisy. The ends justify the means always, always. And I think that that's the level of hardball that I think the left needs to sort of straighten its spine a little bit and, and start playing by those rules. I am actually a bit of a fan of um, Buttigieg's, Buttigieg's Supreme Court strategy, which is to basically use partisan politics to get us out of partisan politics. So what he wants to do is he wants to add multiple new seats to the Supreme Court, right? Because why not? We've had different 
yeah. counts in the past. There's no reason. There's nothing in the Constitution that mandates a nine-seat Supreme Court. So whatever. But in so doing, create a system that actually guarantees that the Supreme Court can be taken out of sort of this partisan, well, the Republican leaders are going to nominate Republican justices and the Democrat, you know what I mean? That, that is getting us into, that's, that's actually taking away the legitimacy of what the Supreme Court is supposed to be. Buttigieg's mind, Supreme Court justices actually nominate each other, which is an interesting kind of way to think about this. And you have a pool of Supreme Court justices who are then pulled in for any given case. And you're able to create sort of an even, as even as possible, of of a partisan split between them. That would take some serious partisan cojones to, to pull off. But I think that this is sort of the type of solution the left needs to be laser focused on. How can we use our partisan power to get us, because what you don't want to happen is just stack the court and then you lose the next presidency and then the Republicans stack it even more. And now we're back into this tit for tat kind of escalation, just like we had with the nuclear option in the Senate. We don't want that coming back to bite us in the ass. So use your power to get beyond power. That's that's what I would like to see happening from the left. Right on. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. And I loved it when Buttigieg proposed it. And, um, and why do we think it's going to stay the way it is? What in history have ever, has ever stayed the way it was? Right. So there will be structural changes in the lower right. I don't know what it's going to take to make those happen. Uh, it may be worse before it gets better if we use the Strauss Howe thing, you know, where we're in a fourth stage of the, four, the fourth turning where there's a war and hopefully not a hot one. It's, there, there's that with the Supreme Court. There's also a, a very nice, elegant, there's several elegant solutions to polarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is ranked choice voting, yeah. which, which we just adopted that. in Boulder, where you oh, pick your first and second choice. And if the first doesn't win a majority, there's an algorithm that, uh, you know, so the, the incentive is for candidates to appeal across the aisle to voters, the so-called aisle. Because right now, it's like Kurt Gowdy, or what's his name? I'm forgetting. He was a Republican congressman. He left the Congress, but he ran the, yeah, he, what's his name? Trey Gowdy. Trey Gowdy, yes. He commandeered the Benghazi hearings for God knows how long for the Republicans. He was, I think he was on Fareed Zakaria or one of them. And he was very frank because he just wrote a book and he's out of Congress. and, And he said, the only election that people in Congress can lose is the primaries. Mm. They, that's the only th- election they can lose. So that means the only way they can lose is by having somebody come even further on from, the, uh, from their poll. Yep. So he can lose from somebody further to the right, but not to the left, because right. that's his district. And that's for sure in the, in the um, House of Representatives. This changes that. Yep. And, and it also was just adopted a day or two ago by the state of Maine yeah. for the presidential election. It's huge. It's huge. So, Jeff, so well, well, these, these sorts of things, there are solutions. Yeah, there are. Uh, and right now, the system very much supports polarity yep. and partisanship. And there's a whole class of people living it up in Washington, D.C., for whom it is working. And I'm yep. talking people on both sides, people on both sides of the media, and there's a whole big class of people there. And it, is politics working? Yes, for them. Right. That's right. 100%. And they're doing their jobs and they're doing it well. Yep, exactly. And let me just say, Jeff, ranked choice. I, I have Corey's three point plan to fix democracy, and ranked choice is, is 
number two. Great. Do you want to you know the other one? I do. Yes. So number one is, okay, so we have a real problem with the Electoral College. The Electoral College, as it is today, is basically an affirmative action program for conservatives. It's not supposed to be that way. Now, we talk about, you know, tyranny of the minority and all that stuff. We already have that built into our system. It's called the Senate, right? So point number one, if we want to do anything about the Electoral College, first off, you can't, not without a constitutional um, amendment, a new constitutional, which requires a constitutional convention, which I promise you, you do not want to happen. Only bad things will happen from a new constitutional convention right now. Things are way too divided and raucous and fragmented. You don't want that. So the way to deal with that is simply repeal the 1929 Reapportionment Act, which put an artificial cap on the number of representatives that we have in each house. So you wanna get rid of that and you wanna instate something like the, I believe it's called the, the Wyoming rule, which basically says the smallest state then becomes the smallest unit for all the districts around the country. So that every district around the country is representing the same number of people, period. Right, whether it's fifty thousand, whatever that number, three hundred thousand, whatever that number happens to well, be. Well, isn't that true in the House of Representatives now? No, right now it's so. This is why in the House of Representatives, a representative in Wisconsin carries more weight than a representative in California. Well, that's true in the Senate, but not in the House. That's also true in the House because the districts are not the same size, and in fact, the number of electoral college votes you get is based on the number of representatives in your state. I see. California has far fewer representatives per capita than places like Wyoming does. And that skews the electoral college. Well, that's not fair. It's not fair at all. So all you have to do is repeal the Reapportionment Act, which inflates the number of representatives in the House, which is totally fine. We, we can deal with that, right? You're actually giving fair representation to everyone. And now the electoral college is more or less moot because it's much more, you know, it's much more uh sort of correlated with population size and not just with what color your state happens i to. thought it was i'm gonna have to see something that proves you're right there i thought that the house of representatives had the same number of constituents nope the representatives not, not my knowledge okay well let's uh, maybe someone watching figure figure that out. Out. yeah exactly i mean that because uh if that's i i, I get that the, that Wyoming with 30,000 people gets the same number of senators as California with 30 million people. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's ridiculous. But uh, the house I thought was apportioned according to population. It's but better proportion to population. It's supposed to be a one-to-one -one representation. Okay, that may, you know, the set, they, they reapportion every 10 years based on the census. Mm. So, you know, it may be that that has happened in this 10-year period, that it's swollen more people. I think that's the, probably absolutely true because people have become more urban. Uh, but I'd like they to draw, sort they, that out. They draw the lines within the state differently. Based well, on that's for sure. Data. No, the gerrymandering. They don't, add, they don't add seats to the House. Yeah, but they do after every census. Add seats to the House? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My understanding is that we've been at... at 438 House members since the 1929 Reapportionment Act. Okay, well, let's uh, let's sort that out yeah. because that's a bad thing. That's that not bad. that's not fair, Corey. Well, that's plank number one. Plank number okay, that's number one. Okay, we go. Plank number two is ranked choice voting because one of the biggest problems, you know, it, we see this in integral circles. People are just like, we just need to create a third party, and that 
That doesn't work in a first-past-the-post voting system, which is the voting system we have today. It forces the broadest possible coalitions, which means you get the least done. Everything is based on a premise of compromise, not on, a, on the premise of action. So first-past-the-post is what's responsible for sort of this unhealthy polarization that we're seeing today, whereas ranked choice helps eliminate that problem. So enacting ranked choice across the country is what's going to diminish the power of a two-party system and actually allow us to move more towards, you know, more parliamentary yeah. kind of systems. Here. I'm excited to see how it works here in Boulder. Totally. Me too. Yeah. yeah and I'm, I'm psyched to see what happens in Maine as in well. In Maine. Absolutely. Yeah. That's even more exciting. Number three is probably more controversial to our liberal audience. I want to reinstate the draft, but I want to repurpose the draft into something more like a National Guard slash Peace mm -hmm. Corps kind of service. Where basically, and you know, my listeners have, uh, know I'm a broken record on this, basically what you're doing is you're making it mandatory for all young men and women, poor kids, rich kids, white kids, black kids, I don't care who kids, all together in service of something greater than themselves. And to me, you know, I had a really great talk with Ken about this last year, and we both kind of surprised ourselves by how much of a magic bullet this really felt like to us in terms of getting sort of beneath these culture wars, um, it would be huge. Not only are you shoring up sort of in a healthy conservative, creating a healthy nationalism. In fact, I think that this service needs to train every American how to be proficient with and respectful of firearms. We're a martial culture. Let's embrace it. Let's not keep that in the shadows, right? <laughs> Let's not keep that in the shadows. Right Let's all get our gun training. Let's all stop being so afraid of this crap and actually turn this into a national service that is shoring up our conservative base by giving us a healthy nationalism and creating more progressives in the long run simply by getting people out of their hometown communities and exposed to new people, new perspectives, new ways of thinking and doing and being. That itself is an accelerant of the growing up process. So it's two birds, one stone here, man. Right on. Three, fixed democracy. Love them all. Fixed democracy now. Yeah. Well, I can't argue with those. And, Other than uh, the first one, which will... Well, well, well I did to... argue with the first one, but we'll, one of us we'll is more right than the other. We'll have to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, to, to close, and I think we ought to move into our third act here, I do want to thank you and to uh, give you a plug oh. for my wonderful quadrant woodwork diagram that you've made me. I see one behind you as well. Yep, and this Ken's is Corey's, yeah, th that's Ken's? Yep. Oh, great. Um, this is your new hobby, not so new now. About um, a year into it now. Yeah, is that right, only a year? Okay. Only a year. Yeah, where you're doing woodworking and uh, making these quadrant diagrams out of beautiful wood, and I love it. You know, we've been talking about the quadrants. It's really fundamental to integral theory that there are four dimensions of reality that are not reducible to the other. There are, each of them have their own irreducible dimension of reality. The uh, inner in individual, the exterior of the individual, so my mind and my body, and the collective, the interior culture, and the exterior, all the systems, including the systems of the cosmos, like the weather and the planets and all of that. And those four things together, tetra arising, they're all evolving, uh, in an intertwingled way that it's fun to sort out 
And hallelujah for that, right? Yeah. Oh, amen, man. Yeah. But, you know, my goal was, you know, that four quadrant diagram has just been so meaningful for so many of us. It's, it it's really has. Like integral icon, right? Yeah. And that's what I'm interested in is integral iconography and finding ways to take these sort of out of the neurosphere and into the physiosphere. You know what I mean? I want to take these ideas and turn it into something you can hold with your hands and you can feel and you can touch and it's tactile, yeah. you know? Just like that, making it, that. making it solid. And what I'm trying to do, Jeff, is I'm trying to, you know, kind of match the design to each of your personalities, you know? Uh -huh. For you, I believe I gave you uh, some leopard wood, uh, just, to, just to add like a little bit of, you know, you've got a little bit of glam to you. So I, yeah. you know, well, thank to you. throw that in there, a little bit of flair. <laughs> um, so I thought that that piece was appropriate to you. And then, you know, this piece I made for Ken has sort of different inlays. Oh. Yeah. So it's got some ebony and some, uh, what's called Amboina burl. So it's really cool working with all these different kinds of woods, getting a sense for the personality of the wood and sort of how to match that with, you know, my perception of the cosmic address of everyone who orders one. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, Speaking it's really of which, fun. where could they order one? They can order one, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually have a page on integrallife.com. It's integrallife.com slash four quadrant carving, four dash quadrant dash carving. Um, if you just go to integrallife.com and search for, for four quadrant, it should come up. I'll link to um, it on the site too. Yeah, there you go. And I've got three tiers. You know, I, tr I try to be clever. So if you want to be third tier, you're, you got to spend a little more money. Uh -huh, for the fancier wood and different yeah. inlays. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. more complex right. inlays and all that. Yeah. Because um, it's, you know, it's not easy to pull off, but man, it feels good to do it. And I just... Yeah, um, you do it in your workshop and, you know, you're, you're like a real dad. <laughs> like a real out dad. Out there with your woodworking. Yeah. Yeah, cool, man. No, it's really great. Yeah, thanks for uh, All right. Well, I think we are complete, perfect, and whole. I mean, there's always more, but yeah, man. <laughs> I think for now, we're good. Yeah, yeah, man. Well, thank you so much, Corey, for, for all the great work you do. Uh, not just your art here, but for the work you do with Integral Life and for this new integral practice, which I'm excited about. And I hope other people are too and, and try it out because it feels like, you know, talk about things being on schedule. This feels right on schedule yeah. for so many ways. All of it is. It's a nice response to the life conditions we're all facing right now, I think. Um, yeah. And Jeff, thank you for having me on, for dealing with the technical irritations. Man, that was bad. Yeah, um. <laughs> I know. Will you take care of yourself? Thank you for joining us. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of The Daily Evolver. Thank you, See you next time. Bye. Bye.